You're listening to the news on RTHK. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. Good morning, it's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Wednesday the 15th of June. Welcome to Money Talk on Radio 3. This is Peter Lewis with the day's business and finance headlines. Global stocks have slipped further into bear market territory, although Chinese shares outperformed, as a dumping of risky financial assets moved into a third day. The FTSE All World Index of global stocks fell 0.7% Tuesday, leaving it down 22% from its record high last year and in a bear market, defined as a fall of 20% or more. Since reaching a record high last November, more than 18 trillion US dollars has been wiped off the value of global stock markets. On Tuesday, the Hong Kong Monetary Authority stepped in to defend the Hong Kong dollar, ahead of an expected 75 basis points interest rate rise from the Fed tomorrow morning Hong Kong time, which will be the largest increase since 1994. The SAR's de facto central bank bought a total of 4.4 billion Hong Kong dollars and sold 560 million US dollars after the Hong Kong dollar briefly fell to the bottom end of its trading band at 7.85 per US dollar. It's the first intervention by the HKMA this month, and in total, the authority has sold a combined 2.83 billion US dollars this year. New data released on Tuesday pointed to further signs of inflationary pressures as prices paid to US producers rose in May. The producer price index, which tracks the prices that businesses receive for their goods and services, advanced 0.8% in May, an acceleration of 0.3 percentage points from the month prior. On an annual basis, prices rose 10.8% in May compared with a year earlier, down from the 11% gain seen the previous month. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Asian fund management industry consultant Stuart Allcroft, Pete Sweeney, who's Asia editor at Reuters Breaking Views, and RTHK's international economics correspondent, Barry Wood. And of course, you can get in contact with any questions or comments. You do that by texting 6393-5925, emailing moneytalk at rthk.hk, posting on our Facebook page, Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3, or tweeting us at Money Talk Radio 3. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. On Wall Street, the S&P 500 fell for a fourth day, slipping deeper into bear market territory. The broad market index fell 0.4% to 3,735. It's now fallen 9.6% in June, the worst start to a month since 2008. And it's down 22% from the record high touched in early January. The Dow lost 152 points, closing the session at 30,364. The Nasdaq Composite outperformed, rising 0.2% to 10,828. The tech-heavy index is down over 33% from the record high reached last November. In Europe, the Stock 600 index fell for the sixth consecutive day, declining 1.3%. The UK's FTSE 100 dropped a quarter of a percent. 
In the Asia-Pacific region, the SX200 in Australia plunged 3.6% Tuesday after reopening from a public holiday the day before. Japan's Nikkei 225 dropped 1.3% and the Cosby in South Korea fell half a percent yesterday. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index recovered from losses of as much as 1.7% to close flat at 21,068. The tech index dropped 0.1%. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite rebounded from morning losses of almost 2% to close 1% higher at 3,289. And traders will be watching to see if the People's Bank of China lowers its one-year medium-term lending facility rate today after leaving it unchanged for four months. And key China economic reports, including retail sales, industrial production, property investment and unemployment rates are all due for release this morning. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil is down 1% at $120.97 a barrel. Gold is 0.6% lower at $1,810 an ounce. U.S. government debt has continued a brutal sell-off and yields, which move in the opposite direction to price, have surged. The yield on the two-year note, which is particularly sensitive to interest rate rises, jumped 15 basis points to a 15-year high of 3.45%, and the two-year yield is now higher than the yield on the 30-year Treasury bond. Such inversions suggest traders believe that the Fed's aggressive monetary policy tightening could tip the U.S. economy into recession. The 10-year Treasury bond yield surged 14 basis points to 3.48%. That's the highest in 11 years. And the U.S. dollar continued its relentless rise against other major currencies. The U.S. dollar index has climbed for five straight days, up 0.4% on Tuesday, and it's reached the highest since December 2002. The Japanese yen slid to a 24-year low against the dollar on Tuesday, falling another 0.8%. Right now it's at 135.2. And below the 135.15 level it reached during Japan's 2002 banking crisis, and approaching lows of more than 145 yen seen in 1998 during the Asian financial crisis. Sterling fell to its lowest level since March 2020, slipping below $1.20 against the Hong Kong dollar. It's at 9 Hong Kong dollars and 43 cents. The euro is trading at 1.04 and a third cents. Chinese yuan is at 6.75 and a half in offshore markets. And digital assets continued their slump in price. Digital exchange Coinbase said Tuesday it will cut almost a fifth of its staff. That's some 1,100 employees as the crypto crunch worsens. Bitcoin fell another 6% in the past 24 hours, falling below $21,000 at one stage in Asian trading to the lowest level since December 2020. It's currently at $22,100, down about 68% from the all-time high of $67,800 reached in November last year. This morning, Asian stocks look like they may once again outperform their global peers. The Nasdaq Golden Dragon China Index of US-listed Chinese companies closed about 7% higher last night. Here in Australia, the SX200 is off 0.7%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan has just opened down a third of a percent. The Cosby in South Korea is off about 0.4%. And futures markets are pointing to a gain of about 50 points for the Hang Seng at the open this morning.
Time's just gone 8.10. Let's welcome our able-bodied and nimble-minded commentators this morning who are going to take you through what's been going on in the global financial markets. We have with us Stuart Allcroft, Asian Fund Manager, Management Industry Consultants. Welcome, Stuart. I'm good morning to you, Peter. Able-bodied, uh, nimble-minded... Um, glad you think so. Raring to go, I'm uh, sure. Raring to go. Oh, I should, add, I should add, by the way, today is Xi Jinping's birthday, so you want to maybe send him a birthday card. Happy birthday, President Xi. Yeah. Okay, and over our Queensway studio, we have Pete Sweeney, who's Asia editor at Reuters Breaking News. Morning, Pete. Morning, sir. And over in uh, Washington, D.C., we should find, I'm sure we will find, Barry Wood, our international economics correspondent. Uh, welcome, Barry. Yes, here I am. Good morning to you, Peter. Okay, well, let's start with this global market uh, sell-off. Let me ask you, Stuart, first of all. This seems it's not just a flight from risky assets. It's uh, also a flight from the Fed as well, isn't it? What are, what are your thoughts? Yes, um, market's going down rapidly. Yes, we're in bear market territory. We, we are falling from highs, which many commentators would have said, I'm sure people would have been saying on your program six months ago, markets were really very much too high in November, December, January. Um, and so it's not surprising we've seen the fall. Um, I think there are a lot of reasons for it, and not least inflation, possible interest rate increases, uh, geopolitical uncertainty, and um, all of these will contribute to the, the, the general uncertainty of markets, which people don't like, especially investors, so they're taking cash. What do you think will end this decline? Because it doesn't look like it's going to be the Fed at the moment, does it? Well, it's got to be um, a combination of factors. As, as we said last week, I think if, if my magic wand came out, um, we put an end to the Russia-Ukraine war. Uh, we would see uh, oil prices falling quite quickly. And I think that would stem inflation and probably slow down interest rate increases. But... Um, the likelihood of those seems to be pretty low at the moment. I, d I don't think in Asia, um, particularly for Hong Kong, of course, uh, quarantine restrictions are not helping here at all. And, um, and a lot of people are sort of walking away from Hong Kong, as we know. So um, this is leading to a somewhat negative sentiment as well. Pete, for the first time since the global financial crisis, we're seeing the world's central banks really moving together to remove monetary accommodation. All this liquidity that's been pumped into markets is clearly going to be taken away. Interest rates are rising um, quite rapidly. Um, and pr presumably that's why we've now seen this biggest drawdown since 2008. It's going to be very hard, isn't it, for markets um, to, to really rally while the Fed is in this sort of mood. Yes, and I mean, of course, you've got the the, the fact of inflation, um, you know, which is clearly out of control at this point and driven by external forces related to war in Europe. Um, so there's really no good reason for people to assume this is going to be a temporary situation. Um, you know, we had a really, really good monetary time <laughs> ever mm. since the global financial crisis. Too easy, really, wasn't Partied it? Too long, and now the hangover is starting, and it's going to clearly it's going to take a while. Um, What's interesting is, that, of course, in Asia is, is some of the outliers. I mean, like the pressure that's on the Bank of Japan right now is, is really quite extraordinary, as is what's happening to the yen. Anybody who's kind of dissenting from the interest rate hiking regime is, um, you know, kind They're of being punished hard. Yeah, yeah I would say. Um, I mean, you, you say um, inflation is out of control. Has the Fed also lost control as well? 
Oh, that's not what I, I, I don't mean that the Fed has lost its traction over, over interest rate. I'm just saying like the forces that are driving up, I mean, this is push inflation, right? This is not mm. the result of demand. This is rising agriculture and, and energy prices, um, which consumers just kind of have to take a hit on. Um, so, I mean, and, and when and how the war in Ukraine ends um, is still very much in question. You've got this interesting situation where both Russia and um, Europe appear to, and, and, and its its opponents in the West appear to view like energy embargoes as a tool they can use against each other. Um, <laughs> that's that's a little odd. Mm. Um, I expect that to get worse the more frustration that Vladimir Putin has with his progress, um, the more lashing out economically he can do. Um, so, uh, so I, I'm not very sanguine about that. Um, and then it's a, a, obviously revealing cracks in the fundamentals of some economies, and particularly. China's resilience and ability to cope with this is, is really beginning mm. <laughs> under some pressure as well. Barry, how much is inflation an issue in the US and, and people on the streets talking about it? I noted, for example, that over the weekend, um, gas prices, petrol prices, as we call them here, hit $5 a gallon, which is a record high. Um, are, are people noticing this and talking about this? Yes. Yes, there's no doubt about that, Peter. It's, they're not just talking about it. They're really concerned about it. And it's not just petrol prices. It's uh, food prices. Mm. It hasn't yet caught on with this labor push for more, more remuneration uh, because we still have a lot of people who are we're short of labor in, in lots of places. But, yeah, I think inflation is, without any doubt, both Democrats, Republicans, person on the street, this is the issue. And I think that's why Jay Powell has got a very important uh, press conference in, in less than 24 hours' time. Are you expecting a 75 basis point rate hike now? Well, I'm so happy to have uh, financial experts like you and Stuart and Pete, because I cannot believe that uh, all of the experts are saying that it's now a 75% chance of a 75% basis point rise. I mean, I just think that would scare people. I know we're talking about a Fed funds rate, but let's not forget mortgage prices here in the United States have doubled to 6% since the beginning of the year. So mm -hmm. we're seeing real Fed tightening. I think it's going to be 50 basis points, and I think it would be a shock if it's 75. Uh, it is interesting your view there, Barry, because it seems that uh, this view that it's going to be 75 basis points has only come out, out in the last couple of days, maybe as, as the meeting today, tomorrow, will, will just um, exacerbate people's opinion. But um, the fact that uh, it has only come about in the last day or two uh, would suggest that uh, there must be some sort of briefing note to suggest that uh, people shouldn't be expecting a lower rate. Mm. But it's actually that's um, a very interesting question, and and uh, I don't think that's going to happen from the Fed, but certainly yeah. in the finance up in New York. Yeah. You know, and and I had my numbers wrong. It was ninety-one percent probability of seventy-five basis points. Yeah. Yeah. Pete, I mean, if you look at the Fed fund futures markets, it's it's even worse than that. They're pricing a hundred percent chance of a seventy-five basis point increase uh, this week, a ninety percent chance of another seventy-five basis point hike in July, then fifty basis points in September, November, and December. This is going to take interest rates to three point seven percent by uh, the end of the year. 
that's well, well above uh, what people were thinking about even just you know two or three weeks ago. Can the markets cope with the 3.7% interest rates, particularly given all the debt that's been built up over the last sort of decade or so? Well, that's going to be the huge adjustment, right, is once this starts trickling into the, the realities of business investment, which I assume it already is. We've seen the reaction in mortgages, but, um, you know, pressure on refinancing, all these other things, I'll be fascinated to watch. I mean, I also note the, the analysts fully expect this to tilt the U.S. into recession as well. So um, <laughs> it all seems very That's a good point. Um, yeah. yeah and, and maybe, you know, th this is a time when the Fed can be a bit more bold because all the shocks are out in the system. Mm -hmm. We're in bear market territory and stock markets. Um, so why not go for it rather than sort of um, uh, wait, and, wait and see? Because uh, whatever happens, it's going to be negative or received negatively. But we're already at a point where the markets have have been very negative. So I, I, I suspect that it will be better received by the market, unless, of course, the Fed decides it's going to be 100 basis points. Mm. <laughs> my, my. But look, this is a very delicate time, is it not, Stuart? Well, I mean, look at these better, currency yes. changes. Mm. You know, you've got the yen at 135, as, as Pete mentioned, and you've got the pound down to 120 and, and the euro at 104. I mean, I, I think that uh, there could be more to come. I mean, it's not as if all the bad news is in the market. I think it could be a warning of more to come. Yeah, but is the Fed really that bothered about the foreign currency rates? The strength of the U.S. dollar is, is, is usually in the U.S. a source of pride, isn't it? Well, that's it depends true, on how you view you the get... trade deficit, right? I remember Donald Trump. Yes, being, that's being right. Some, and look at that huge trade that. deficit. I mean, you're looking yes. at Japan right now. Um, you know, which is on kind of the watch list at Treasury for currency manipulation. And you're, you've just seen, you're, like, the question is, what is going to stop the yen from falling further if they hold the line on their, their interest rate policy, which I think that they're, they're going to start meeting today or tomorrow. Um, and we're going to get some announcement on Friday. But, like, you know, what if, what, if, what if the yen hits 140, 150? I mean, you have these trading relationships at that scale, you know, really shifting. The um, Bank of Japan will have to abandon, surely, its, uh, it, its, its monetary policy, won't it? It just can't carry on being as accommodative as it is when um, everyone else is, is raising rates so aggressively. Yeah, well, that's the million-dollar question, right? I mean, uh, you saw Kuroda, uh, the Bank of Japan chief, uh, getting in a bit of trouble for saying that Japanese consumers were able to handle the price rises or were sanguine about it, and that caused a lot of blowback. To me, that signaled that he actually would like you know, to kind of keep on his current course, uh, which has made the Bank of Japan policy meeting one of the most boring things to cover for years at this point. <laughs> um, but like that, I mean, he's about to, re he's going to step down next year. I don't think he really wants to tinker with his yield con curve control, but the whole thing is falling apart. I mean, the, 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 the market is rejecting the guidance rate for the 10 year mm -hmm. Japanese government bond. It's popped above the rate. That's supposed to be impossible with the bank saying it will buy an unlimited amount. But it's going to own bonds, the whole JTD market going soon, the isn't yeah. it? So, well, I mean, the whole idea of yield curve control is you don't have to buy the bonds, right? That mm -hmm. The idea was you don't actually have to purchase it. You just kind of threaten the market and Except they, back they are. Off. You say, well, you know, if, if you do, do this, we're going to come back and buy it. But, but like, now, this they week, are now they are. So um, that whole thing looks very unsustainable. Mm -hmm. Um, but, you know, the Japanese economy hasn't turned around the way they want. Um, you know, Japan Inc. hasn't really gotten on board with the, the wage hikes and all these things they wanted wanted to happen. Um, you know, bank consolidation still hasn't happened. So it's uh, 
you know, it's going to be tricky, but they're going to, they're, they're not just going to be able to sit there on their hands while the yen heads towards 150 per dollar, in my view. Barry, the, uh, the Fed, it's got to take some criticism for where we are now, hasn't it? Uh, I mean, we've seen so many times in history, the lesson they should have learned is once you fall behind inflation, and they have fallen behind because those inflation expectations have, have soared to what to a record high, I think, haven't they, according to the University of Michigan now, long-term inflation expectations, you end up in this awful situation where now they've either got a slam on the brakes to control inflation and risk a recession, or they ease off and risk inflation ripping even even higher. And so many people well, warned right. them, didn't they, uh, you know, several months ago and last year, raise rates yes. now to avoid this situation. Yes, but at the same time, the uh, delicate course that you've just outlined, if they go to 75 basis points and scare the market, you could uh, then say that six months from now, the Fed will be blamed for pushing the economy into recession. So, yeah, it's very delicate. And that's why I think they're going to do 50, because they have telegraphed that over the last several weeks. Mm. Let's not forget, it was just a couple months ago, we were talking about a series of 25 basis point increases. Then we shifted to 50. And then suddenly, as Stewart says, it's gone to 75. So I don't think the Fed wants to be blamed for uh, promoting and, and, in fact, pushing the economy into recession, which a big interest rate rise would do. Stuart, let me ask you about the, the crypto markets. We've seen big falls in them as well. Does this have implications for broader financial markets and maybe stability overall in the financial markets? Because there are some players, you know, traditional fund managers who have positioned themselves very heavily in cryptocurrencies. So have some companies as well. I mean, look at te Tesla. Um, is there a risk here of some sort of contagion? Um, as you found out from me previously, Peter, I am pretty negative about the whole cryptocurrency business mm. and i think that what we're seeing in cryptocurrency you know if, if you were to, if you were to see as we've seen with bitcoin um more than 60 percent fall in the value of the currency over a very short period of time you'd expect the whole thing to collapse and it hasn't done so at anything like the rate that probably people would have expected if it had been some other form of investment um, but often crypto has been uh, sustained more by the marketing uh, machines than the, the reality of crypto itself. I think crypto is having its um, comeuppance right now. I, I suspect that uh, we'll see prices fall even further because, as we've seen with the stock markets around the world, um, they, they're falling um, and people are pulling money out of that and putting it into maybe uh, defensive assets, which includes bank deposits. And crypto is definitely not a defensive asset. It's a very speculative asset. Mm. And right now it's not one that I think people would be very much inclined to be buying. And therefore, if they're not buying it, they'll be selling it and that will force prices down even more. Pete and Barry, what, what are your thoughts? Bitcoin down 25% now since last Friday. Does this have broader repercussions? Well, fortunately, no, I don't think. Um, I mean, I don't think <laughs> people put their pension. I mean, there are people who put their retirement money into like Terra and stuff like that in, in South Korea. And there are some very sad stories out there, certainly. Um, you know, I know people who've gone very, very heavily into it with their personal money. And there's definitely some stuff getting burned. But the institutional institutions have been flirting with it. Um, I mean, I know there's a, there's a fair amount of speculative money in the market, but um, at, at this point, I don't think 
I think it's it's great for journalists to write about. Um, yeah. But I mean, what what is really interesting to me is is this kind of generational thing you had with. I mean, like you you've had, you know over a decade of just ultra low interest rates were borrowing money, the return on putting your money in the bank or something was zero. And, and that fed all sorts of speculation. Um, why not trade Bitcoin? Why not buy all sorts of weird futures? You know, why not trade exotic ETFs? There was no point in, in saving your money. You got nothing back from it. Um, the problem with the cryptocurrencies is so few of them managed to invest in things that would produce in, in like a real business activity that produced a rate of return, right? Like I can mm -hmm. trade a currency and get a rate of return because it's invested in, in something that, that a, a genuine business. So much of you look at these, these crypto funds that were paying out, you know, 10, 20%, um, like really nice returns. I was like, I talked about what, what is generating these funds that are like, well, speculating on, on crypto, like it was a, <laughs> it was a closed loop. I mean, there is genuine business activity, for example, in the NFT space where you have people trading in video games. Well, okay, that, that's virtual, but it's a real business. Companies make real money of it. It produces real returns. Like, But most of crypto is just a bet on crypto, you know, and, and with interest rates rising, it makes perfect sense for the money to go someplace else, in my view. Um, so mm. the space, I think there's a space for it remaining, but it's, it's much smaller and, and less revolutionary than people think. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think it's a system breaker. But this decline is ominous for young people because they've rushed to it, uh, whether it's in Korea or North America. And uh, so there's going to be some disruption if this downward trend continues. We've also got some major companies here in the States that have invested in it, and they're going to get the equivalent of a margin call if this decline goes on. So there could be disruption, but no system breaking in my, in my view. Yeah, and I agree about the youth part. That is kind of, I mean, especially here in Hong Kong, where you have, I mean, but crypto is illegal in mainland China, but the, the, the young generation of Hong Kong has gone full, full into this. There are Bitcoin mm. advertisements in the subway. You know, if you hang out with like young Hong Kongers that are educated, like inevitably, like somebody starts talking about their crypto trading and like that is now being wiped. You know, this, this generation that was already kind of like looking around for, for careers that would grow and, you know, kind of like be out of the, the Hong Kong box, as it were. And, and that's been that is being yanked at this point, which I think is, is sad. Stuart, tell me about the Hong Kong dollar. Obviously, these these rate rises, potential rate rises in the U.S. are putting pressure on a lot of currencies, including the Hong Kong dollar, which is now once again at the bottom end of its trading band. The HKMA had to step in yesterday to uh, defend it. Clearly, there's no question that the peg is going to break. But some people have been suggesting that if uh, the U.S. interest rates rise as much as they're, they're likely to now, is it really appropriate anymore uh, for Hong Kong to be pegged to the dollar? Of course, it's appropriate and it will continue indefinitely because that is the conditions under which the peg was set and, it, uh, and China is in agreement with it. So I don't think that's going to change. Um, yet we get these, these moments. We've had lots of them over the last 30 or 40 years where, where the, um, the, the peg has been at one end of the uh, range or another end of the range. Yes, the Hong, the Hong Kong dollar has benefited from having a very strong U.S. dollar. And uh, people in Hong Kong, just like in the U.S., will now be looking at other parts of the world and saying how cheap it is to, to maybe go on holiday or buy assets overseas. Um, but I don't think that uh, there will be much other than continue to keep at the peg. And, and, uh, and Hong Kong Monetary Authority has more than sufficient resources, nearly half a trillion dollars available to it, to, um, to support it.
Okay, well, thank you all very much for your thoughts this morning. You heard there Stuart Allcroft, Asia Fund Management Industry Consultant, Pete Sweeney, who's Asia Editor of Reuters Breaking Views, and our international economics correspondent over in Washington, D.C., Barry Wood. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a final look at the markets uh, for this week. Uh, first of all, in Australia, the SX200, for, for today, I should say, we will be back tomorrow with more, but um, in Australia, the SX200 down 0.6%. Uh, the Nikkei 225 in Japan is off half a percent. The Cosby in South Korea falling three quarters of a percent. Uh, does look like, though, the Hang Seng is going to rise at the open, about uh, 60 or 70 points or so. And I will be back tomorrow morning with more updates on what is going on in the financial markets and business world. At 8 o'clock, stay tuned for COVID updates with Janice Wong and Anna Fenton after the news. The weather forecast, mainly cloudy. Occasional showers, few squally thunderstorms, which uh, showers are going to be heavier at, fir- at first. Maximum temperature is going to be about 28 degrees. And then those showers and squally thunderstorms will continue in the next couple of days. It's 27 degrees right now, 90% relative humidity. 8.31, here's Andrew Shrofsky with the Half Hour News. Thank you, Peter. The government has announced that it will resume sending the family members of people who test positive for COVID into quarantine if they share facilities such as toilets with their infected relative. The move is intended to help stem a rise in COVID infections, especially ahead of the July 1st anniversary of the handover. The Health Secretary, Sophia Chan, said some quarantine facilities may be reopened to accommodate those sent to isolation. If the family of a COVID patient only shares one toilet, we will arrange the family members to designated facilities for quarantine. This is very important. It is to safeguard the health of the patient and his or her family. As cases are climbing now, we will enforce this measure strictly. Depending on the need, we may reopen community quarantine facilities. Officials confirmed some 849 infections yesterday, 97 of them imported. Meanwhile, people entering bars and nightclubs will have to show staff a negative rapid COVID-19 test from tomorrow. The change follows several recent outbreaks linked to nightlife. The chairman of the Lan Kwai Fong Group, Alan Zeman, said he understood the administration wanted to be prudent ahead of the possible visit by a state leader on July the 1st, but it was wrong to pick out bars. In essence, the cluster is only 350 cases over. And if you take the amount of people that have been affected in Hong Kong, government came out with 350 cases of clusters of bars and clubs. But the schools probably had more than that right now, and along with many, many other people that have been infected. So I honestly feel that it's misguided because how are you even going to check? Mr. Zeman said he was hopeful that the testing rule would be in place only for a couple of weeks. The financial secretary, Paul Chan, says the government is doing everything it can to support the tourism industry, including working to open up the border with the mainland. Speaking of the launch of Disneyland's new nighttime light show, Momentous, Mr. Chan said the industry had a bright future if it can tap into the market of 86 million consumers in the Greater Bay Area. He said the government spent $4.5 billion in supporting the sector during the pandemic. Tourism has been among the hottest hit sectors of our economy under the ball of the pandemic, which makes the innovative spirit of Hong Kong Disneyland and the resilience of our travel trade in general all the more remarkable. 
the government is keenly aware of the challenges the trade is facing, and we have been doing everything we can to encourage business while containing COVID. Health officials said that they found three positive coronavirus cases after an overnight lockdown of Kwai Ching House in Kwai Fong Estate in Kwai Chung. They said more than 1,700 people were tested. The news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to COVID Update with me, Janice Wong and Anna Fenton. On today's program, we will be speaking